This episode of Ministry Monday is sponsored by Alan Organ. Alan Organ, pioneers of digital sound technology, is celebrating 50 years since their introduction of the world's first digital church organ. Allen Genesis organs with new Apex technology combine the most advanced tone generation technology with massive memory storage and processing power, resulting in the industry's purest pipe-like sound. Apex, along with Allen's world-renowned support and longevity, sets the new standard for digital organ building. To learn more about Apex, visit allenorgan.com. From NPM, the National Association of Pastoral Musicians, this is episode 158 of Ministry Monday. Ministry Monday is a weekly podcast about music, ministry, and liturgy produced by the National Association of Pastoral Musicians, or NPM. What is NPM? NPM is a national association that fosters the art of musical liturgy. The members of NPM serve the Catholic Church in the United States as musicians, clergy, liturgists, and other leaders of prayer. For more information, go to npm.org forward slash join. Have a question? Email us anytime at ministrymonday at npm.org. Hello, and welcome to Ministry Monday. I am your host, Amanda Bruce. If you are new to the podcast, hello, we are so glad that you are tuning in with us. Each week, Ministry Monday offers a podcast episode for the church music minister on topics that seek to help you learn, grow, challenge, and inspire. If you haven't done so already, I encourage you, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts each week. And hey, thanks for joining us. This month, Ministry Monday is offering a three-part series on Tizé music. We began the series last week with reflections by David Anderson, editor-at-large for GIA Publications and director of music and liturgy at Ascension Catholic Church in Oak Park, Illinois. If you didn't listen to that episode, you can tune in later wherever you listen to podcasts or, of course, at ministrymonday.org. Today's episode features Brother John Glassnap, a Benedictine monk of St. Meinrad Arch Abbey in southern Indiana, where he currently serves as the director of the newly formed St. Meinrad Institute for Sacred Music. Last week, we set the stage for our conversation today by sharing a personal experience about both Tizé itself and the music that stems from it and the brothers there. Today offers a musicological and practical analysis of why Tizé music is so effective to unify a worshiping congregation and how its historical and global roots are deeper than we may realize. Today on Ministry Monday, I'm talking to Brother John Glassnap. Hi, Brother John, how are you? Hi, how are you? Great. Good, good. I'm so glad to be talking with you again. I have to tell you too, I should have said this before we started recording, but I think it's a great place to start in our recording that, um, of course, we had a conversation about the historical basis of chant, a, a historical intervention on the basis of chant. That was a conversation we had a while back. 
and we recorded both a video and audio version of the podcast. And your video version was one of the most watched episodes of the year so far. I think that's my parents. <laughs> I don't know. No, that's great. That's great. Well, thanks to mom and dad, Glassnap, and for those who are tuning into the podcast every week. Um, I, I was chatting with you in the last time that we talked when we were recording those chant workshops and the, like the, the conversations we had about chant that was so good. And we, at the time we said, we should do this again. And you said, you said something, I think in passing, like, we should talk about today. And I went, yes, tune in again. We shall be doing that. And so that's kind of where we're starting today. You are part two of a three-part series on today music. And of course, you have such a great context because you come from just, of course, a historical standpoint, but also like a theoretical standpoint um, of today. And I should say, disclaimer, before we start talking, um, Brother John and I both know that, you know, we are not Teze scholars, but we really are looking at Teze as a whole and looking through um, the theological, theoretical lens as to what it does for us spiritually. And so I kind of want to start there. So what are some of your thoughts about the theoretical standpoint of Teze music? Yeah, well, I think the theory question is a, the major one because when we talk about Teze and Teze prayer and uh, Teze, I guess maybe spirituality, um, but uh, the experience of Teze strikes me as primarily a musical experience. And I was interested as a musicologist in how that musical experience is different than other experiences of religious music. Uh, analytically, what makes, what is Teze doing differently? that resonates so well with younger people across denominations, across countries. And, uh, and so I, I started really uh, diving into that. I first really encountered Teze, of course I knew about it before, but I was doing dissertation uh, research in Belgium. And I belonged to a parish that was associated with this uh, youth organization, I guess, in Dutch it's called the Semikilsbeweging, like the a youth movement. And there were very few youth at the mass, which I thought was kind of sad. Of course, Belgium is a very, very secular country these days. Uh, but next to the parish church was a, a house that a few of the like the youth organizers ran and they did a soup kitchen and they had some other things associated with it. One of which was a Tuesday evening spaghetti dinner that was coupled with a Tuesday service. I went to that once. I'm not exactly youth, <laughs> 42. Uh, I could not believe it. There were people spilling out onto the sidewalk, people squished onto the stairs, a total fire hazard, people sitting all across the floor. There were so many people who were so energized and so engaged at this Teze service that I never in a year and a half saw set foot into an actual church. Wow. And I thought, I mean, the, the difference was so unbelievably stark. And so again, as a, as a musicologist, I'm, I'm thinking like, what is this music delivering that really they're not finding anywhere else, including like say popular music or something else. Right. Uh, so I, I have a number of things. Okay. <laughs> uh, should we dive in? Let's do it. Okay. I think Teze, uh, the first thing that fascinated me with is I think Teze has really maximized the pro-social effect of music, the sense of 
of connection and harmony and peace that uh, we feel very often say at a concert, you know, you can imagine a concert where everybody gets their lighter out and they're all kind of moving in time, you know, all feeling very much in the moment, all feeling this connection and this sense of common purpose. Now, psychologically, there are some things happening in the brain that make that feeling possible. But that feeling is a really, really important one for prayer and for our identity and sense of mission as a Christian church. That ultimately is how we should be feeling all the time. And so a group like Teze or other kinds of musical groups, they're not the only ones doing this, but really uh, uses music as a tool to bring us into that sense of togetherness and common purpose that uh, Teze is probably the most inclusive group I can think of off the top of my head in the sense that it they sing in multiple languages. The melodies are very simple and repetitive. We can talk about repetition in a minute so that everybody can learn them. You don't have to know them before. Uh, there's no denominational or confessional, confessional barrier to entry. Uh, it's kind of a come and a go you know, dynamic. Mm -hmm. And that is, uh, uh, that's very appealing because I think it, it allows the individual some autonomy to make those decisions or, or and to be themselves and that room for them to be, they don't, you know, they don't have to give up their identity or say, you know, make somebody else happy, but they can also be part of this, this group. Right. This, I think resonates with us. This is a very Benedictine, uh, you know, uh, St. Benedict says, treat all, welcome all guests as Christ, which is not to say, ask them a bunch of questions when they arrive, you know, they're already, they're automatically Christ at the door. There's no, uh, and then we're actually, I mean, we don't practice this necessarily, but except internally, but that we're supposed to prostrate and ask for the blessing of the guest, not the vice versa. And I think Teze has that sense of openness uh, as well, but we can, we can also dive into exactly how this is working musically. Right, let's, let's keep going in that. So we've talked, of course, about the, the physical reaction that we have, the, the, the unification that we feel with one another, but musically what's happening that is really starting to kind of create these neurological pathways? So I think I mentioned a few of the musical things. I think repetition is one of those things. And, and when I were talking about the differences between so much liturgical music, not all of it, but a lot of it, and what Taze is doing, repetition really, really stands out. And repetition is an, a musical phenomenon that really fascinates me, uh, particularly after I read a book called On Repeat by Elizabeth Margulis. You can Google her name, M-A-R-G-U-L-I-S. She did an in interview with NPR and uh, she's done a number of, of outreaches that are accessible, really, really fascinating. She uh, collated all kinds of recent neuroscientific studies, studies in psychology of music, perception, cognition, what happens in the brain, not just on music, but specifically repetition. What repetition does is it allows the, it kind of frees the brain from the future because we can predict the future. Once we've heard something repeated a few times, we know it's coming back. So we can stop worrying about the future. We also can kind of forget about the past and our attention becomes focused in the present. So when you, if you were to watch a video of people praying at Tizay, for example, nobody's worried about 
paying their bills or, oh, what are they gonna get their mom for their birthday? Or they're completely focused just on that moment. And that's primarily, the music is allowing them to do that by redirecting, by redirecting their attention. The other thing that the repetition is doing is producing a hormone called oxytocin, which is the hormone that mothers feel apparently, so I hear uh, when they're breastfeeding or when they meet their newborn baby, this feeling of warmth and connection and, and love. The, uh, uh, the way that that works is through a process called entrainment. I hope I'm not getting too technical here, but this is, this is something I think even musicians take for granted. It's just how amazing music is, how, what a powerful tool, how deep in the brain it goes and how, uh, how high functioning it is for us. We do it so often that we don't even think of just how human. But entrainment is basically, if I snap my fingers in a regular rhythm, I don't have to do this more than once or twice and you can match me. That is not, no other animal species as a species is able to do that except for humans, including mm -hmm. apes and higher primates and everything else. It's an incredible, incredible um, ability that just comes so easy and so natural for us. And not only can we do it, but we seem to like to do it. So again, that's like the fist pounding at a concert or marching right. in time or, uh, or a parade, for example, where we're all like, yay, we're celebrating. What are we doing at a parade? We're primarily just like walking in rhythm together. But there's something about that togetherness uh, that really, uh, that says that I know what you're thinking and you know what I'm thinking and we're all together and we're all moving with a common purpose at the same time. And uh, it's such a simple, natural thing, but it really does produce this, this oxytocin response in the brain. And, uh, and, and creates a sense of community where there wasn't necessarily a sense of community before, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. From, from a secular standpoint, I have to just give a small anecdote. Um, I, I think of the, the performance of Queen at Live Aid um, in the 80s. And there's that famous scene where Freddie Mercury does a call and response back and forth with the audience who was there for the Queen performance. And actually before that, he had them do We Will Rock You, which of course, as we all know, is the thump, thump, clap, you know? So yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, I'm just, as you say this, and like creating this body and creating this community by doing this together, it, it's the same type of idea. That, Completely. And, and that was such a famous moment too in concert and performance history because when he, he just made it up and there was no communication, like, okay, repeat after me. There was no, there was no consent. He just started doing it and the audience followed suit. And you're in, I mean, that was one of, one of the best performances I've ever seen because it unified millions of people almost, you know, those who were watching and those who were in person. And it's the same type of idea, not, not to liken to say to queen, but you know, but it, it is this idea that unified singing, which of course we do as pastoral musicians all the time, gives us this common purpose. But taze and small repetitions over time, you're right, takes the pressure off of worrying, what's the next phrase? What's the next verse? Yeah. What, because we do have, it happens, it really does. Yeah, the, I mean, the, uh, you know, the fancy term is gold emotion, where we're not necessarily uh, heading anywhere in, in particular, and, and, it, and it frees us. It, it, relaxes the brain so that we can just be present there. And that's, 
that it's so hard to achieve that without, frankly, something like like music. I mean, if you just were to try to meditate and just you know stare at a white wall, your brain would go in a million different directions. I mean, even in, at liturgy, I mean, maybe <laughs> others have had the experience of maybe being distracted and daydreaming once in a while. You know, right. it's very very hard to sustain attention and to to relax the brain and to be in the moment. Let's talk a little bit more actually about the idea of community and unity being fostered through Taze music. So let's talk about Taze music functioning as a tool for inclusivity. Do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, Taze does a number, takes a number of other departures from what we normally would expect in a traditional church choir. So uh, for example, there's a flexible ensemble or no ensemble at all. And it's a very free form uh, accompaniment um, style. Uh, some churches may, may do that, um, but a lot of pieces are, you know, that we would do are fairly specific about what the instruments required are or what they do. And, and that I think creates a certain sense of maybe uh, of a ten, uh, tension or of uh, kind of a, a proper way to do it that's not so relaxed or spontaneous or you know immediate uh another thing that i think is really important um because this is also true in say the african-american spiritual uh big part of that tradition as well is that there's no conductor or there's no leader which is to say that there isn't this kind of hierarchy of somebody telling you as either a singer or an audience member what to do and it's very subtle, but I think it's something that people at least subconsciously do detect uh, in the African case of the, like the Fisky Jubilee singers at uh, the early African-American spiritual, it's not difficult to understand why they wouldn't want a conductor in 1866, a year after the Civil War, telling them what to do. Uh, in, uh, but in the case of Taze, it's, it's a similar effect, which is that it's, uh, it's an egalitarian, power structure, everybody participates equally uh, according to their, their own gifts and are not necessarily needing to uh, conform to a, one particular style or musical expectation over another. Uh, I think that's a huge part of the, the kind of inclusivity that, that Teze cultivates. Um, it's simple, it's easy to learn. The, repetition again is conducive to to learning i recently did um another event with one of our monks from togo uh, i did a, a webinar with uh, amanda and berta with our brother justin who unfortunately is about to go back to africa mm. uh well we had, we did an uh, npm interview uh in february i believe uh I interviewed him again here, and he was talking about the way they introduce new music in, uh, in his monastery in Togo. Specifically, he said, anytime there's going to be a new piece that's never been done before, they will always have a rehearsal before mass because people, as he said, get angry if they don't know all the music before and they can't participate. And he said, they will complain like you wouldn't believe. Everyone is supposed to, is expected to participate. And the way they do that, like the Fist Jubilee Singers and the African-American Shout Song, I think it's a, a West African tradition that goes back for centuries, is the same thing as Taze. These short phrases that are repeated and repeated, sometimes embellished, but highly repetitive, short, easy to learn 
so that everyone can participate because everyone's participation matters. Mm. And, and they are part of the performance. There's not this hierarchy of conductor, choir, listener, passive listeners, which is such an important part of the European tradition. But it also is a little bit exclusive. Well, that reminds me, though, of the historical context. See, we're going back to historical context. I know <laughs> As we you always this. do. <laughs> um, but it reminds me about the historical context of how Taze really found its footing. Do you mind talking a little bit about that? Yeah, it's it's so interesting. I, I feel like I'm talking about World War II a lot these days. And hmm. I, I don't, yeah, I don't know if that's a coincidence or what. But of course, Brother Roger, the founder of Taze, uh, gets what became Taze moving about 1940, uh, flees the Nazis. I think Taze had been, if I remember correctly, right on the border of, uh, of the, the, right near the Nazi occupation. And eventually the Nazis did raid his property and he fled for a few years to Switzerland. Uh, the, a lot of what Taze, a lot of the, the shape it took, other than harboring Jews and things during the war, uh, was repairing the enormous social damage that had been done in this fratricidal world war. And so these, these uh, issues of like community and participation and things, this is not apolitical. This is like something like if you, if you don't have that in place, you're in World War III territory. You know, this, is, this isn't like some nice like tickling your fancy stuff this is community is serious business and uh it strikes me that i mean not only have we for all kinds of reasons i think the united states has been in a very divisive period i mean racially politically economically uh and you know right after that now we've been separated from each other for over a year and we haven't been able to have these experiences, like you were saying, at a Queen's concert, and, you know, right. or, or even church. Right. And that's just like, for me, that's just like a, a double whammy. And I mean, I, you know, uh, again, as St. Benedict says, monastery will always have guests. We haven't had guests in over a year. This wow. is not how monasteries are supposed to function. Huh. It's not how parishes are supposed to function. Right. And now as we kind of crawl out of this pandemic, it's like, how do we rebuild and who is our neighbor anymore and what's changed? I mean, how do we relate? And I think something like Taze is, is such a powerful tool for rebuilding that sense of community that we've either lost or forgotten about or is just atrophied from this prolonged separation. Uh, I, I, I hope that this, this podcast is part of a larger awareness campaign about the need to rebuild in 2021 from all kinds of social ills and that that musicians really are among the best placed to do that work even dare i say more than priests <laughs> because <laughs> this is musical. because this is musical and text alone cannot do this i can say ubi caritas that amor ibs ubi caritas that amor ibs you know i can repeat that over and over and that does not conjure anything in you but when i sing it and when I sing it together with you and we're in training in time, something transformative happens, but that's, that's a musical phenomenon. So it's for musicians to do, that, to do that work. I think too, 
this may be too far down the rabbit hole. Maybe this will be a to be continued. I don't know. You can decide, <laughs> but, but I think too, it reminds me of some thoughts you share with me about reimagining a theology that's coming from this. Um, because like you said, it is so powerful. And I mean, we, as musicians, these pastoral musicians who are listening, we know this, but I'll speak for myself and say, I sometimes struggle to put words to what I know is powerful. Um, but I think in this day and age using Tize, for example, um, I think actually Tize, sorry, side note, I think Tize is a great example of what I've heard a lot of lately where, you know, the pandemic has, has really stripped away so much of what we knew prior. And this gives us an opportunity to reevaluate and reimagine, and maybe in some cases, think of things more simply. Today seems like a very great option for that. Um, so yeah, so maybe, you know, just final thoughts about in the midst of everything we're doing right now, like reimagining uh, today music and its presence and maybe a theology that comes behind that. Yeah, so you know, my my period of specialization is in the Middle Ages. Mm -hmm. and that includes people like Hildegard. Maybe we'll do a Hildegard episode. I know. Uh, yeah, teaser, <laughs> teaser. We're gonna do a Hildegard episode. Uh, well, every episode should be a Hildegard episode, if you ask me. But uh, in one way or another, she needs a shout out. She's uh, yeah. But but uh, in the Middle Ages, someone like Hildegard is uh, building her theology of music based on this connection between really music is a, a physical, like acoustic phenomenon in terms of wavelengths that deal with math and relationships and proportions and its effect on the human body, which is to say musical experience. And uh, now we tend to privilege musical experience in a way that kind of divorces the mind from the body. And we, things like talking about repetition and oxytocin, and this is a, uh, and the psychology of music generally, it's not something that we any longer bring into our theological discussions of music, at least that I've heard, in the way that they did in the Middle Ages. In the music was always a, a spiritual tool, like fasting and asceticisms and pilgrimages and, and other repetitions like the rosary or something else. I mean, uh, why do you say a Hail Mary 150 times over and over? It's, it's the repetition that builds a kind of a meditative practice. There's nothing magic about the number 150 or anything like that. Uh, so these, these are tools that we use. And, uh, and so I think really this, these studies, which are fairly recent about the psychology of music, music experience, how can we use music to our advantage to, to access ourselves unlock our own inner subjectivity and and connect with each other connect with our history i think that's um and you know and connect with the outside world i think that that is something that music does very well and uh and something that we need to build into our theology of music as we continue to write and rewrite what that theology is so many good thoughts to think about. So many good thoughts also, as you've mentioned, as we consider rebuilding, because to be blunt, Brother John, um, our parishes need a lot of rebuilding right now in terms of parish life, because the pandemic has been incredibly challenging for so many of us in ministry. So I think this is a great stage to set uh, you know, first, first off, for using to say music, I think, by the way, oh my gosh, I can't believe I didn't say this earlier, but 
I think Tizay Music also functionally is an excellent tool right now during COVID-19 coming out of it because so many of us aren't using hymnals in our pews. And so to use Tizay Music to take the pressure off, if you will, by using small, simple refrains is another beautiful way to rebuild, rebuild community, rebuild that, that confidence in singing to foster that feeling and again, take the pressure off. I, I think this conversation is so apropos right now and I think it's so well-timed and I'm so grateful for you to take the time to talk with us and give us some ideas as we as pastoral musicians are looking into the future for our ministries. I think everybody needs a big welcome back, even people yeah. that we knew and loved before. It's kind of seeing them for the first time under, you know, without masks and being able to sing together again, uh, it's uh, like, what a gift. So I, I hope we don't take that for granted. I agree. Well, thank you for your time today and your knowledge. Um, I will be speaking to you again in the future, I'm sure. Uh, if you're listening to Ministry Monday, stay tuned. Brother John and I always have a good time on these episodes, so I'm sure we'll have Indeed. a great conversation again soon. So thank you again for your time today. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks to Brother John for his time today. For more information about Brother John and Tizay, visit the show notes of this episode at ministrymonday.org. Join us next week as we share part three of the conversation about Tizay music, as I am joined by Lauren and Dave Moore. The recording of Confetemini Domino was produced by GIA Publications, and the theme music of this episode was produced by Aaron Schaus. Today's episode of Ministry Monday was produced by me, Amanda Bruce. That's it for today. With the Spirit's gifts empowering us for the work of ministry, thank you for listening. Have a great week, and we'll see you back here next Monday. <laughs>